previously on the Trade Waiters. Um, I just want to share some whale facts that I just learned from the internet. Whale facts. Yeah. Like, welcome segment. to our new uh, <laughs> Trade Waiters segment, Whale Facts. It has very different connotations in Japan because I remember the first time when I talked to a Japanese person and I said, oh yeah, I really like comics, so I'm kind of an otaku. And immediately they were like, oh no, like you seem like a very nice person and like... <laughs> You clearly like have personal hygiene habits. Like you're, yeah. You don't, don't, don't talk down uh, to yourself like that. Like you're fine. You're not, you're not a big mess like an otaku is. <laughs> like it's a really shameful thing to be an otaku in Japanese society. Well, I mean, the the reason that they met is because uh, she was trying to rescue a jellyfish, mm-hmm. and he's the one who who helped her buy the tank and get everything back to the uh, the apartment to save Clara, the jellyfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was really sweet that even from the outside, it, it was a, a really positive aspect of his character that he would stop in the street and be like, why are you yelling at this person? And <laughs> they need to, they, this is what this person needs. Make it happen. Why are you even standing in their way? Which is a very privileged way to go through <laughs> life, but uh, uh, still, still endearing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I like that when they do the makeovers, she just stays the same. Yeah, and she even gets a little. Well, I guess that's second volume too. But yeah. uh, spoiler alert: uh, when they do a second makeover, she's still in the kimono, and she's like, again, <laughs> like she's kind of regretting. Like everyone else gets a makeover, how come I don't? Yeah. Well, because you look fine. <laughs> Welcome to the Trade Waiters. This is part two of our look at Princess Jellyfish by Akiko Higashimura. So we'll be looking at volume two today. Mm. Yes, and so please be aware that we are going to spoil up to the end of volume two. But not past that. I haven't read past that. I don't know if anyone else has. No. I, w- I was tempted to. Oh. I, had I think to it's re- on Comixology. It I is. always leave the second book until right before we record and I always read it in a rush. So I'm good for Princess Jellyfish for now. Although, I have been thinking maybe I should watch the anime, because people were talking about the anime quite a lot when it first came out. Yeah, mm. no, I think that's what uh, spurred a lot of the interest for this comic, but I haven't seen the anime yet. Oh, okay. I would be interested in watching that, too. So don't expect any responses from us on the anime, because none of us have watched it. But that right. doesn't mean it isn't good, and that we don't endorse it. It's Schrodinger's anime right now. Yeah. So, uh, to bring everyone back up to speed, Princess Jellyfish is the story of a, a woman named Tsukimi who is uh, an Amars, which means a nun, otherwise known as an otaku, who lives in a den of otaku, who all have different obsessions. And she has met a... Someone has come into her life. His name is Kuranosuke. And he dresses like a woman and is obsessed with fashion. And their lives become very quickly and very deeply intertwined. And our characters also learn through the process that their apartment complex is slated for demolition. And they have to rally together to try and save the place where they live and all live together and hold dear. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But we should start with a new character revealing question. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, um, we are missing two of our trade waiters at the moment. You may have heard last episode that Jess had become jellyfish otaku and uh, filled her house with water. That has since escalated, and there is now... uh, The entire block is flooded. It's a big mess. We haven't heard from either Jess or Kathleen. Kathleen, apparently... uh, We're not sure whether she went to help or to fight over who gets to be the lizard otaku... We're just hoping for the best. We'll, we'll let you know when uh, when we know what's what's actually going on. Yeah. Godspeed, Kathleen and Jess. Try not to hurt any living creatures. No, no jellyfish were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> so, do we want to uh, do the character revealing questions, or would you prefer to do more whale facts? Oh, whale facts are pretty good. But um, I have come prepared with whale facts. Whale facts have to happen spontaneously. <laughs> So I think that I think that's the number one rule of whale facts. Okay. Am I allowed to just make up whale facts? No, because then it's not a fact. Then it's a whale fiction. 
No, whale fake news? Whale no. fake news. Oh. <laughs> fake whales. Fake whale news. Well, don't worry, because we're not going to talk about aquatic sea creatures today. What I'd like to know is, because this is a story uh, largely about friendship among many different things, uh, and I think we would all, none of us would object if I were to describe us as nerds, I want to know if you've ever had a roommate who was as nerdy as you. Oh, interesting. Mm. Let me think. Uh, well, I've only had one roommate, and I would say no, but Jack is a pretty good uh, running to be a North American otaku for just not leaving the house. <laughs> that makes him more of a hikikomori, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He was actually kind of in the running to be a hikikomori. Yeah. Uh, no, I was definitely the nerd of the house. And then ever since then, I've been blissfully living on my own. Your cat's pretty nerdy, though. She is pretty nerdy. <laughs> uh, she she likes to dance. It's good, you know. <laughs> dance otaku. Okay. Oh, I, I now that I've had a oh, minute wait, to think wait, about who, this. Who are you? Oh, sorry. I'm Jeff Ellis. That's it. And your cat likes to dance. Yes. My cat does like to dance. Her name's India. <laughs> After the ink. Yes, not the country. <laughs> okay, uh, now that I've had a minute to think about this, I do actually have an answer, uh, like an actual good answer. When I lived in London, uh, I lived with a wide range of people, uh, a rotating cast of characters. I've never seen the uh, reality show Big Brother, but the, from the little bit I know about it, it seems very representative of a lot of living conditions in London. Um <laughs> So one of these characters in particular, and I can't remember his name because we hardly ever saw him. Uh, he was a New Yorker, so a rare American, although everybody that I lived with was uh, from somewhere other than England. But we never saw him very much. He kept to himself, like just stayed in his room or went to work and back. I don't even know where he worked. But after he had moved out, we kept getting these DJ magazines arrive at the house, which I guess were his. So he was secretly a DJ, and we had no idea. Oh. <laughs> Secret DJs. Yeah, DJ otaku. Wow, pretty cool. Well, did you say your name? Oh, I did not. Uh, I'm Jonathan, and I once lived with a DJ otaku. Okay, uh, and I'm Jam, and I was reflecting on... Uh, a time in university. So obviously when we started, I lived in a dormitory, which had a lot of different people in it. But what really jumps to mind is the senior dormitory that I moved to in my third year, I believe. So uh, in my university, there was a residence where you could move to where it was three or four people in a small apartment-like house, which was different from the straight single-room dorms. And the room that I moved into, I was lucky enough to be able to coordinate it with people that I already knew. So I uh, was with a computer science major and two other physics majors, and I was majoring in engineering. So some pretty nerdy people, and we were also very all into anime and manga. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun having Naruto nights, where <laughs> we would just coordinate around the TV, and there'd be like 10 of us watching the new episode. We, we marathoned the Chunin exam at one point, which was a lot of fun. And one of the golden memories of my youth. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I feel like I could see that being adapted into a manga. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I never knew anyone who was obsessed with comics until after my second time through university. Ah. Before, like when there, weren't, when there wasn't an internet, it was pretty hard to, to find other comics people. Before the internet. Well, not actually before the internet. You had to be an internet otaku to be on the internet okay. before, uh, like, forums became a regular thing. See, I was, I was like the guy in my friend circle who would like read a comic and then go to my friends and be like, "Oh, you gotta read this," and then they would be the ones coming to me like, "What, what comics are coming out that I should be reading?" So I was like the filter, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're jumping into Volume 2. What yeah. happens in Volume 2? So, it, the first thing that happens is we come back to Shu, who is being blackmailed by Shoko. Uh, Shoko, the real estate developer, really wants this to go through and thinks that she needs a bit of additional leverage. So she roofies Kuranosuke's older brother, Shu, who is a virgin, 
and takes photos pretending as if they had had sex, but they did not. But Shu doesn't know this. So that's the that's the inciting incident in book two. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of this volume covers uh, schemes to make enough money for the uh, Amars team to buy the house that they live in. Yeah. Yes, and and schemes by Shoko to further insinuate herself into Shu's life. A lot of scheming in this second volume. A lot volume. of schemes. A lot of schemes. <laughs> I really liked the part where they went to the park to sell random things, mm-hmm. and Tsukimi's little jellyfish toys ended up being really popular. So one of the things that Kuranosuke did is he immediately conscripted everyone into being a jellyfish construction assembly line <laughs> to try and sell as many of these as popular uh, as possible. And they actually do pretty well with that yeah. in a believable way, like yeah. not in a sitcom, suddenly everybody's good at a thing way, but like, no, this this fits all their characters. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that was the thing. I, I really enjoyed how, um, oh, I'm blank on the name, but the, the character obsessed with, with dolls and kimonos. Uh, um, Chieko. Chieko, sorry. I just enjoyed that, like, Chieko sort of steps up as the superior, like, seamstress of the group. Like, you know, Tsukimi's okay at stitching stuff, but clearly this is Chieko's, like, field of expertise. And they show her the one jellyfish, and she's just like, oh, you're making that? Like, just starts cranking him out. (laughs) Like... And she's she just like, oh, I'm kind of offended that this isn't kimono related, but like, I can definitely do all the stitches for this. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Real kimono are always stitched by hand. So therefore, I'm very fast with this. Supernaturally talented. Yeah. yeah. But I kind of appreciated that because a lot of otaku do develop these supernatural talents in, in very weird and specific things. And it's fun to see when something like that is leveraged. Yeah. Uh, another character who we didn't even mention last episode because she doesn't do very much is uh, Gigi. Yeah. Um, but she makes more more of her a presence uh, more of her presence known in this volume. But at one point they're making the sign for this jellyfish sales, and she is obsessed with older men, <laughs> and so she draws like an older man holding a jellyfish, saying, "Even I have a jellyfish." <laughs> it's like this is not this is off yeah. topic. Like this isn't going to help us at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I of all the otaku, I found like the girl obsessed with older men to be the weirdest. <laughs> and there's like a moment where I think they visit Shu's house, uh-huh. and Gigi like meets Shu's dad, and then she's just like, he is so cute, and like oh, he's kind of like, aren't you a delightful young lady? And I'm kind of like, nope. <laughs> Everyone needs to go their separate ways now. It's funny. It's funny that you find that odd because I know a lot of people like that. Really? I know a lot of people who are like silver fox aficionados. Oh, interesting. (laughs) And so Gigi didn't seem out of place to me at all. And maybe it was just like the way she expressed it. Like she seemed very like, because it was like, in a way it was almost like sort of like examining like a a foreign species or something. Like it was just like... (laughs) sort of admiring these older men but not like if it was see it, it, maybe this is like a limitation on my part like if it was if it was just sexual like it was a silver fox thing I'd be like oh okay she's just into older men but she's like kind of asexually into older men so it's yeah. like she kind of just is like oh I like the way that they I don't know just like just bizarre things to obsess over about well, it, older men like, it's an it was, aesthetic yeah thing. It, it's an aesthetic <laughs> thing I mean it's again you know, different strokes for different folks. It's just like, it was, the way she sort of it was expressing it, I was like, that's, what? Like, yeah. it's well, a weird way to express it. Like, he's married, <laughs> and the father of her um, friend, I guess she does figure that much this out. Is, it's, um, it's, it's mm, not... Maybe this is how much faith I have in, like, old <laughs> Japanese businessmen. Where I'm just like, nope, let's just get the young lady out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably helps that he's like a senator or something. It's like there's that, that added help. mystique. That's no, not... I'm not saying that makes it better. <laughs> I'm saying I I'm, I think this is part of why she's so right. uh, obsessed is because he seems like this unobtainable, mm-hmm. like ideal kind of a thing in terms of like his status. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that uh, <laughs> senator, like, what did you think of the prime minister character? Uh, 
I feel like there's a joke that I'm not getting. Yeah, it was very bizarre to me. Yeah, because he's what he just sort of like starts running around like kind of posing in like a schoolgirl way, and he seems to be like I guess it's implied he's kind of talking in an effeminate way, um, which probably works better in. He Japanese has like these long eyelashes. Like uh, there's definitely they're getting at something there. Yeah, it could just be that they're making him a cartoon because they don't want like she doesn't want to say anything about the actual Prime Minister. Mm. Like, I, I've, uh, it reminds me of, there's a comic by Faith Aaron Hicks called Superhero Girl, and there's a scene in that, or a couple of strips in that, where the Prime Minister of Canada shows up, and it's Stephen Harper. And the way that Stephen Harper is portrayed is very sort of flat and empty, so that we don't have to address that he's not that great a guy. It's like, in order to not be controversial, he's just like, basically a cardboard cutout. Mm. And I, I feel like maybe that's what's going on here. Wait, I'm sorry. Stephen Harper was not a cardboard cutout? Okay, I mean, <laughs> it works for his character because it's really hard to tell them apart. Uh, but I, I feel like there's a similar thing going on here. Uh, maybe. I don't maybe. I don't know. It, it's unclear. But anyway, it was a, a weird quirk of the story, which it took me out a little bit. Uh, mm. I, I didn't quite understand how to relate him to the plot very well. He seemed to be very involved in Kuranosuke's life and wanted to, you know, get to the bottom of what was happening with Shu and meddling in its mm-hmm. own way. That I, reminds me of something I did. I wanted to talk about last episode and we didn't get to, was how the people in Kuranosuke's life seem mostly accepting of his lifestyle. Uh, like, he gets some, like shaming happening right early on in the story but for most of the story everyone is aware of this about him uh no one is trying to stop him well Um, i'm not sure that's entirely accurate uh i think they're accepting but in a in a way that's kind of like begrudgingly okay it's like maybe they've tried to stop this and failed Mm -hmm. and now they have to accept it and it's just kind of like it's not something that they're necessarily pleased about okay I mean, but, I mean, I was thinking about his friends as well. His friends yeah. s- don't seem at all, um, like, they don't bat an eye when, like, he switches back and forth. Mm. So, like... I mean, I also would say that I think it seems like a lot of his friends don't really know what's going on. Like, uh, when he's at the club and he knows the girls are coming, he just is like, oh, I need your wig, and... They're kind of like, oh, why? Oh, you're going to wear a wig? That's kind of weird. Like, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily completely understood that he's... Uh, that's not how I read that scene. Uh, it's, it seemed to me like that these were the same women he was talking about at the beginning of Volume 1, where he's, like, hanging out with these sort of scenesters. Yeah, but uh, he was also dating them, and he was masculine as a, in his appearance at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, they don't seem to treat him as two different people. Mm. They never see the femme version of him, Don't though. they? Only at only when he steals the wig. The wig. That's yeah. right. Hmm. Like I, I think I'm not that sure. I think that he's a little more. Yeah, I felt like he was leading a double life a little bit more. That was my impression from the reading. Uh, and I will say, like, I don't know. I kind of. I mean, I'm not necessarily qualified to have a definitive opinion, but I will say, like, I did sort of take note in this volume how it seems a little more implicit that Kuranosuke is having very heterosexual feelings towards Tsukimi. Mm-hmm. And I definitely got the impression from some of the dialogue between Kuranosuke and his family that it's sort of like, oh, you're just in that phase. Like, eventually you'll kind of get over this and you'll sort of settle down. And I, I was, I, I would be kind of interested to sort of see, like, it would be interesting to get a Japanese person's perspective on, like, would Kuranosuke be palatable if Kuranosuke was just out and out trans? Or just out and out gay, um, like would that still get, like how would that be handled? Because I almost feel like in a way it's sort of, like it's sort of like yeah he dresses as a girl, but like deep down he's just a straight dude, so it's it's totally fine, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I mean first first of all, I mean manga isn't necessarily indicative of the average no. person on the street, but no. I, there is a lot of LGBT manga. Yes, I mean like uh, yeah. Then they didn't they elect a, a trans minister? Wasn't that Japan? Uh... I don't remember. Not sure. I mean, I mean or like, regardless of what's right, maybe I shouldn't cast aspersions on the nation of Japan, but like... No, I know what you I, mean, though. I, it's I guess, hard to, it's um, hard for us as a, a foreign audience to understand 
how these characters are going to be read by a Japanese audience. Yeah. I mean, and, and then also, like, I mean, as far as this representation goes, like, I wonder if, if like, a trans reader is reading this manga, like, how do they feel where you have a character that's, like, very close to potentially being, like, a trans main character, and then it's, like, just a straight dude who kind of has, like, a weird kink. Like, it's sort of, like, cuts that out. You know, um, I, I think I'd be leery of describing it as a kink. But, yeah, right. Well, I mean, sorry, uh, like I, yeah. But it's it's true. Like, and there is a, I felt in this uh, in this chapter where it was boiled down to the complexities between the relationship with Kunanosuke and his mother. I felt like that was painting things a little bit simplistically for hmm. for what it's like. Again, like this is a complex portrayal, and it's it's nuanced in a way that is going to be read by different audiences in different ways. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that part is uh, Kuranosuke creating a cartoon version of himself, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's simplifying his own life because he says on a regular basis uh, that he only does this so that he will never have to enter politics. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I think I agree is it's kind of a surface, surface yeah. excuse. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, he, the, the whole rest of his story gives lie to that, that, no, this is... This is a, a much deeper part of him than uh, this just being something from... Um, I forget the name of the character in M.A.S.H. where he's trying to get out of the army. Klinger. Klinger, yeah. It's old show. But <laughs> do you know I, don't th- I don't think he's Klinger. Right. I mean, hey, do you know what? I will... I'll, I'll defend Klinger and say that I think I've rewatched a lot of old M.A.S.H.'s expressing myself for it to be really horrible and... Surprisingly, for Shomei in the 70s, they handle that pretty well. Though mm. he is using that as a reason to get out of the army, there is sort of a moment where it seems like the character evolves to a point where he kind of forgets that that's why he started dressing like a woman in the first place, and it just sort of becomes a thing where he's like, this is just a thing I do. Like, I, it mm. blurs the line. It's, it's, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch uh, some episodes. but I think... Um... Anyway, sorry. What, well, what, I would, what I want to know okay. is what happens at the end of this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hope would be that this is not a thing that is in the script for Kurinosuke to overcome later on. Mm. That this is that right. he his arc includes like being on Okama all the way through to the end. Right. right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard to comment because this is just what the first two volumes of an eight volume series. Yeah. So yeah. definitely like. Uh, so, yeah, like definitely Kuranosuke is a complex and interesting character, and so I think maybe following that journey would be interesting, but I did sort of find, like, reading this, I was sort of thinking, like, oh, it's sort of... I, I My impression reading it was I sort of felt like it was maybe playing it safe or just sort of, like, you know, like, it, even though, like, the love triangle was very intriguing, in a way it was also a little bit, like, almost would have been more interesting to not necessarily just have everyone... Like, yeah, but there's there's also an understanding that sexuality and gender identity mm-hmm. are, are separate. Right. So there's a lot of uh, trans women who are still interested in girls. Right, right. right. So it doesn't necess- one doesn't yeah. necessarily negate yeah. the other. That's true, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, and I, I think at no point in this story does Kurenosuke ever reject any identity that anyone puts on him. Like there's mm-hmm. a scene at the end of volume one where these kids just happen to be walking by and decide that uh, he and Tsukini must be lesbians. Right. And, like, he doesn't care. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, and maybe that's, like, his big positive as a character is that generally, yeah, he just seems to be happy being himself, whether it's himself wearing a dress or himself in a pair of jeans. Um yeah. And that's, I, I, that I really is a like that fluidity yeah. about his character. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to take that back. That's not what how he reacts at all. I'm sorry. No, he <laughs> does. He does say, "Hey, shut up." But okay, never mind. Oh, damn it! <laughs> I've remembered it differently. Um, what what puts this uh, love triangle in more jeopardy? I think uh, so. Tsukimi has feelings for Shu. Shu has feelings for Tsukimi, and Kuranosuke has feelings for Tsukimi. But I'm not sure. Tsukimi has any romantic feelings towards Kuranosuke. Hmm. Hmm. That's true. I don't think... You're right. I don't think we've seen any evidence of that so Eh, far. See, I mean, like, they did have that moment where they were in her room and, uh, like, Kuranosuke was in his underwear and then he was, like, brushing her hair back from her face or something and they were, like, maybe gonna kiss, but then right then, 
Mayaya like runs into the room and they have to do like a ridiculous cover up. Classic Mayaya. Um, which I I will say one again like uh it's it's like we'll see where I mean it's hard to say where the future goes in volume three or four but I did enjoy sort of the evolution of the Amar's understanding of Kuranosuke because I think in this volume uh, Kuranosuke passes out and they go to help her who they think is a girl and then they find out the fake they find the fake breasts but instead of immediately going it's a boy posing as a woman it's like oh she just isn't really well developed and she's using this to fit in as a fashionable Uh, she's just flat chested right (laughs) and so like they still see her as a girl and then suddenly Kuranosuke now has this freedom to not have to dress up as much around the Amar's house. And I noticed this sort of transition of Kuranosuke like being more and more likely to just wear a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and just have the wig mm-hmm. and to not wear makeup. And hmm. like, I, I mean, I think overall Kuranosuke likes to still sort of dress up. Yeah. But I found it interesting that it's sort of, they're sort of, almost easing the Amaras into the idea that there is a boy in the house, that oh, it's just very no. slowly kind of like... Or like uh, <laughs> easing the comfort with, yeah. like, they still accept him as a woman, which or right. like they accept his, yes. his gender presentation as yes. female, even if it's a little bit more toned down. Right, So right. it's like that's a little bit of comfort in his uh, identity, that mm-hmm. it can be a little bit more understated, and it will still be accepted. It won't be rejected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I kind of enjoyed that they're sort of, like, setting it up where... It's not like this thing where he has to throw on, on this big production to, to blend in. It's like literally he can throw a wig on and be like, hey, guys. And like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, and then the, there's the name change, too, because I think Kuranosuke. Yeah, Kur- Kuranako. Uh, that's right. Kurako. Kurako, yeah. Because they, they find out Kuranosuke's name is Kuranosuke, which is a boy's name, because Japanese names are extremely gendered and... So then they have to do this big convoluted story about how his dad always wanted a boy, so... <laughs> he raised him as a boy, his despite dad the dad calls him son. Kuranosuke yeah. and son, <laughs> but actually, I'm really a girl, and my name is Kurako. <laughs> I don't know, that was... I enjoyed that. Yeah, um, I liked that, the way that that got turned around. Yeah. And uh, just to lighten things up, uh, what did you guys think of Hannah Mori? Uh, the guy obsessed with cars. Oh, he's fun. <laughs> I I just enjoyed that you have a car otaku. Yeah, um, I guess he is. And and just, oh yeah 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 the BMW guy. Yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah. just like they just had such great jokes. Like I just enjoyed like I enjoyed when they get him to hire a private investigator to look into Shoko, and the private investigator's like, "Can you draw a picture of the woman?" And he draws like a stick figure, and then the guy's like, "Hmm, can you draw a picture of a Mercedes Benz?" And he does this perfect like rendering and perspective <laughs> oh yeah and, and then he says well if you ever uh, get interviewed by the police uh make sure or if you ever get uh in a traffic accident get the police to get you to draw like a, a sketch of the car it's like oh, i can only draw benzes yeah right <laughs> yeah and then like and there's this great moment later where like shoko's in the car and shu says something hurtful to her and it looks like she's gonna cry and he pulls out a tissue and you think, oh, he's being really nice. And he's like, I don't want you to get any tears on the upholstery. Tears are a snot. <laughs> yeah. I, I also love that he's so easy to bribe. Yes. Where it's like, I'll get you, I'll, I'll upgrade your car. It's like, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. Or, or just like, they're like, okay, tell me everything. Or I scratch the paint on this car. Okay, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> the small price to pay. Um, I really enjoyed the Amara's schemes uh, because they seemed... Like, for, like, basically a sitcom scheme, it, it seemed very sort of natural to the characters, mm. where it was all in line with what their actual abilities were, as previously described. I also really like the twist that Kurinosuke apparently can't sew very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, for someone who's so obsessed with fashion, I guess that does has never included making anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've really enjoyed this entire arc uh, where they were starting to make the, the dresses uh, based yeah. on jellyfish and uh-huh. learning how to sew and having Chieko t- t- teach them how to use a sewing machine uh, and the involved fabrics that she has and th- that yeah. whole progression was really interesting to me and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I, I liked the Kuranosuke suddenly sort of champions the the household and when 
he finds out that it's in danger of being torn down. It's like he is in there as this driving, motivating force. And it's sort of like you have all these introverted people who I think on their own would probably just roll over and like let this condo developer take their house away. And then you have this like real like kind of extroverted personality type who just is like, what? No, we got to do something. Uh, we got to rally the forces and we got to make things happen. I, lo- I love when he goes on this big thing. Like, we got to rally the troops. We got to make things happen. I got like, we got action stations. And they're like, okay, what's the plan? He's like, I don't have a plan, but I still need you to get ready. And <laughs> when I come up with a plan, you need to be ready for it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just love that. It's like so much passion. But like, I don't actually have an idea yet, but just get ready for my idea. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I do like that. It's like, he's kind of in his element in that he's going to use fashion as the way to help them. But also at a, po- at a point where like, oh, he's reached his difficulty level. We're like, Oh wait, I don't actually know how to make a dress. So I can't do this by myself. I'm not magically gifted at that. So yeah. Yeah, I'll and it's learn. like their their business plan doesn't magically work either, which yeah. I, I appreciate. Like, it felt mm-hmm. like a realistic, but maybe not 100% realistic. It's still, like, sitcom realistic, but it wasn't out to lunch. Yeah, it suspends disbelief sufficiently. Yes, yes. Um, one thing I didn't like was everything to do with Shu and the the land shark. What's her name? Shoko. Shoko. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, that was really... I don't know. It's it was a really frustrating situation. It's like she's constantly just insinuating herself and holding this one photo up in his face and like and just yeah. acting like a child, yeah. like falling on the floor and now you have to deal with the woman who's fall like collapsed like yeah. this is not what how an adult behaves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I will say that um and you kind of mentioned this uh, in the last episode, but I would say that Shoko's interactions with Shu really, really warm me up to Shu. Mm. And I think I will say that I think normally when I read a romance comic and there's a love triangle, I find I generally sort of commit to one point on that triangle. And that's that's my perspective. This is one time where I find I keep reading, I'm like, no, she should be with Kuranosuke. No, no, no. Shu's the one. Shu's the best. No, it's Kuranosuke. <laughs> like, I did just, there's, positive and negative aspects to both characters hmm. and I'm still not I, I have no idea who she she's probably going to end up with one of them but I have no idea who she's going to end up with yeah and which one I'll be happier about yeah it's true hmm. like I, I am nervous plot wise about seeing the, the brothers starting to fight about this like if hmm. uh, if they start to become aware of their feelings because I Still not sure how aware anyone is of their feelings in this comic. And mm. if they start to become aware of the other people's feelings and the other people's intentions, it could cause a lot of tension there. And that could be really interesting fodder for future volumes. But again, we're still not sure where Tsukimi, what Tsukimi feels. And uh, she's, she's a very conflicted character, right? Again, mm. like she's not very in tune with her feelings. Mm-hmm. I think she still finds Shu intimidating and threatening in a lot of ways, and mm-hmm. Kuranosuke is just kind of this wild force in her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that she, she's very magnetically attracted to. So it's a, it's a really fun dynamic to explore. Mm. I have a theory... Okay. Bounce off you guys. Okay. We won't be able to confirm or deny because no. none of us have read five. Like, this would be like, yeah, this is like a, I, I, I would say probably volume five or six. Okay. I think you're going to find out that the manga artist on the other side of the door is actually a man. What? <laughs> mm. Uh, no. I think. Okay. say no. I right. think they're going to make the money <laughs> to buy the house. Uh, because of a manga she does based on everything that's happened so far. Ooh. Oh. No, it could be fun. It could be a, a, a Gigi-san, like a, an old old man boy love comic. It could just make it big. Or like mm-hmm. it, it's really drilling down on some kind of niche interest and it just mm-hmm. hits it big. Yeah. Yeah. But I do want the uh, mangaka character to come back into prominence. She's the, she's she's the, the final boss. she's under the most threat. Yeah. Her, yeah. She doesn't leave her house and her home is under threat. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the other characters, 
they're not. I guess they're not really going to be homeless because they have parents. They yeah. could go live in the house of. But uh, yeah, I don't think that's the case with the mangaka. Can Can you remind me? I forget if maybe I'm not remind remembering this right, but I feel like um, at one point Kuranosuke is kind of talking about ways that they can try to make money. And then Kuranosuke finds out how much money that the mangaka makes at manga. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of deliver the message to the mangaka, like, you know, this house is going to get sold unless we make a lot of money. So maybe just like get that manga going. Uh-huh. And I think that, that suddenly it was like the solution was under their nose the whole time. That it was it was actually going to be this manga needs to get published for, mm-hmm. for them to have the money they need. Well, that, that like her response to that was like, oh, my Tankubon aren't selling right now. Ha, ha, ha. Like, you better <laughs> hope the next one sells. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's, that's what gave me the idea that uh, that's going to be their final solution is like coming up with mm. like a manga that sells. Yeah. Although then there's the dress. Like the dress seems like a pretty central part to the plot. Yeah. So they I just don't need know to sell how that the dress, dress is going to come back into it. Selling a dress is hard, especially if you want to make a lot of money out yeah. of it. Yeah. Not if you're in a romantic manga, because uh. then, like, some fashionista sees this dress and... If it was a poorly written uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, fashion manga, I'm not fair sure enough. this is as badly I'm, written as that. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> that it could play out that way, too. Like, it just it becomes the big thing at um, it's gonna just Shibuya at the fashion, fashion outlets and then... Yeah. I oh yeah, this is history. I want there eventually to be a fashion show with all of the oh, AMRs yeah. stylish mode in jellyfish dresses. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, That'd be great. I don't know why or <laughs> to I, what end, but it would be wonderful. I did enjoy the um like when uh Kuranosuke is originally talking about the whole dress scheme. It's like we're gonna make this dress and we're gonna sell it's gonna be popular and then we're gonna be on the cover of Vogue and it's like there's a little note like he skipped a lot of steps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know the author is aware that you can't just like get discovered and make a million dollars in a day. Yeah. 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 And I, I appreciate that realism again and mm-hmm. again that's brought into this book. It never to me it never goes off the rails in a direction that's completely unrealistic. Yes. Mm-hmm. The characters are growing in a way that is it seems like a good pace, it seems like a good progression. It's really fun to see them all of the different people coming out of their shells in different ways and interacting and yeah it's a lot of fun yeah you know what yeah i think maybe that's that's the big thing here is i think that it works because the characters are complex uh no one feels like they're pigeonholed and no one feels like a stereotype like even the mayaya and um banba banba like they're kind of two-dimensional but even they sort of have like a depth or like an ability to adapt like there there's a little bit of growth from everyone so yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then uh we talked a little bit prior about ban banba's obsession with meat they <laughs> they discover that the other two chieko and uh was it gigi yeah were taken out for picking duck and so they immediately <laughs> drop everything stomp over to a club and it becomes <laughs> the this man picking duck yes <laughs> Because yeah. that's what you do. Yeah, but it, that's kind of the cliffhanger of the book because it's this point <laughs> of where worlds collide and Kuranosuke's stylish friends are going to find out that he has otaku friends. And yeah, yeah. That's going to yeah. be weird. It's going to be fun. I want to yeah. see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, I have it on authority that you uh, had a bowl of ramen with uh, Kathleen one time and I wasn't invited, so Uh-oh. I demand that you... I mean, <laughs> I'm really surprised that you actually remember that that's a thing that happened. <laughs> Or are you just making that up and it just happens to be a thing that happens? I, I, I know you well enough that uh, Statistically, I, I, I bluffed you. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, well, I owe you ramen at some point then. Statistically, uh, there may have been ramen. Oh, and now can we, can we finally talk about the autobio interstitials? Yes, please. To their conclusion. Yes. And then we should talk about the art a little bit after that. Yeah. So the autobio comic is a lot of fun. It goes through the author becoming obsessed with this runner and then the plot of the one that they go into in this volume is uh she actually goes to the airport to to meet her running well, idol how does she know to go to the airport how does she know what flight she she's taking phones <laughs> So I forget who it is she phones, but she pretends to be a, a journalist yeah, she's, and phones to find out his schedule. She, she phones his agent. Oh, no, yeah. or, no, no, she phones his uh, his co- or no his gym, I think, or like his. 
It might have been his, his house. Agent? Uh, I think yeah. she phoned his house. Yeah. And somebody answered and told her what the schedule yeah. was because she said she was a reporter. Which I, And then there's a little note on the side of that panel that says, this is illegal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that I thought, I thought that that whole thing was so delightfully Japanese <laughs> in that a celebrity or semi-famous person just has their address in the phone book and then somebody just phones it and says, I'm a reporter. And the person on the other end of the phone goes, well, you wouldn't be lying, so yeah. here's all the information you want. Have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the only way you're going to murder him is if you're in the mob. And if you're in the mob, you don't need to phone. So yeah. Yeah. clearly this is going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, just like I would say... I, I would imagine even even ten years ago, if if someone in Vancouver tried to do something like this to meet like a Vancouver Canuck, like they'd probably hit all kinds of barriers yeah. immediately. Yeah, they'd wind up in jail. <laughs> um, no, and then like the the thing at the end though is like uh, we never really. I guess as a reader, we're just supposed to know what the crime is that he's committed, that he's being indicted for. But as a foreign audience, I have no idea. Uh, and then as soon as she finds out he's been accused of a crime, she's like, okay, well, I don't like him anymore. <laughs> That's it. I'll go yeah. find something else to be obsessed yeah. over. Yeah, that was, I mean, uh, just the fact that she, I don't know, I've, it was like, I, I like Autobio where the author really just like puts themselves on the line. And I feel like confessing to that, like that I <laughs> misrepresented myself and essentially put myself in a situation that like was like super creepy and fortunately she wasn't so far gone that she decided to like i don't know kidnap him or stab him or something but like <laughs> i was reading this going like whoa you're right on that edge yeah. you're like on the razor's edge <laughs> like if she pushes this any further it's gonna be like oh she wrote this manga from prison right <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, art. Let's talk about art. I liked the art a lot. Uh, I've mentioned before that I really like how the characters can get very cartoony and very expressive. Uh, I find the art very dynamic in, in terms of everything seems to be continuously in motion. Like, the characters are always moving, the objects are moving in a way that feels very fast and expressive. Hmm. Yeah. No, I enjoyed the character designs a lot, and I, I mean, all the costumes yeah oh yeah yes uh yeah like uh the re like listeners at home won't know what page jeff just showed us but it was i also want to comment that that's the page where kurako uh, is revealed yeah yeah (laughs) kurako is dressed as the character from the rose of versailles which is a classic (laughs) shoujo manga everyone who in japan who is reading this would know the rose of versailles yeah but yeah just like all the dresses and the hairstyles seem really authentic all the characters are unique. Like, yeah, you, they're very think, distinct. Mm. Yeah, like some, some. I will say sometimes in a manga, like characters sometimes get a little blended together, especially female um, characters. And like, yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of oh, what hairstyle do they have? That's the only differentiating differential. But like here, like even after the girls have had their makeovers, like you can still tell exactly who's who. Mm-hmm. Everyone's very distinctive. This is probably like a just a comic book artist thing but I will say uh, reading this uh, I kept noticing Manga Studio oh oh, like the tones just yeah like the, the screen tones and the brushes oh. and, and some of the the symbols too like some of the special effects symbols and the brushes I was mm-hmm. like oh yeah I have that yeah. I, can, uh-huh. I could use that if I wanted to yeah so for for those who may not know uh, Manga Studio or Clip Studio as it's now called yeah sorry Clip Studio I is, is a software that's designed specifically for making comics and it's really risen in popularity uh, among cartoonists both locally and abroad because it is such a powerful set of tools which is optimized for comics mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think it might have I don't think people will know it outside creative circles yes so I mean like I think for an average reader they're not going to be distracted by that but yeah. i found myself constant constantly just thinking oh yeah i i use that brush yeah or, like i've mm. used that symbol yeah <laughs> and uh the the work does make some deft use of tones and patterns that i think lends a softness to it mm-hmm. but there still is a lot of uh black and contrast mm-hmm. i never found the art getting muddled even though there is a lot of variation to it yeah i mean it, it eases up in the later volume but one thing in the first volume 
that I found a little distracting was she does have this, I'm trying to think of the situation. There was a page I had earlier, but there's occasional, occasionally times where there's like ink splatter, like mm-hmm. just big black splats of ink. Oh, yeah. And it was not always clear to me what that was there for and what that was to represent. It and could be, uh, if I'm imagining correctly what you're describing, it could be kind of like a... Or here, yeah, here's... It, this is like subtle, but it's just sort of around the speech balloon. There's a bunch oh, of ink splots. Okay. Hmm. Right? Um, like these big blobs. Um, like I know there oh, was okay. like the well, nosebleed do, scene. Do you know the, the page number? Uh, this is 333 of 396. So of volume two? Of volume two. Yeah, so the one that Jeff is describing, I mean, that's, that's odd to me. It might just be a space filler. Yeah, like, and I guess that's, I think it becomes more subtle in volume two, but there was a few times in volume one where I just sort of, it seemed like, I've got an empty space, plop, plop, plop. <laughs> Deadlines, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I, just, I guess I found myself, like, thinking, like, okay, so no one's having a nosebleed, but I think this is supposed to imply something, like, yeah. either action or sound or... Emotional background. Ma- yeah, or, like, maybe emotional pathos. Um, there it is again. That's, uh... Yeah, this one has a little bit more, like, emotional violence to it, though. Mm-hmm. Like, your processors crash, and there's, yeah. like... Uh, right. It's it's used for emphasis, where the previous one you demonstrated just didn't seem to. Yeah, maybe that's it, yeah. Anyways, I, I, it's, I'm not seeing it as much here because I think it was toned down. from. Yeah. I think it was a little overused in Volume 1, and I feel like it kind of toned itself down by Volume 2. Huh. Hmm. But it was something I noticed. Okay. Yeah. Overall, though, I think the art's really, really fantastic. Yeah. And I like I, the covers. I good covers. Yeah, I think it's quite distinctive. As well, and it's uh, it carries the work really well. I mean, she probably wouldn't have time to to do this, but looking at the color pages, oh yeah, I nice almost colors. wish this whole manga was like full color. Oh, maybe someday color <laughs> edition. Yeah, think um, about it. We, you get the Scott, doing... Scott Pilgrim treatment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I we're I think we're running out of time. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I loved this book. I I'm very heartened to hear that both of you loved it as well. That especially very often. No, it, it doesn't, and it's because uh, there's only three of us, so we can all compare. <laughs> no, just kidding. But uh, it's it's interesting because, you, especially you, Jeffrey, you're, you're not a manga fan, and I found a manga that you, you really yes. seem like you can endorse. And yes. so that makes me feel, again, like I <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed this manga, and I would endorse it to anyone, even if someone is not necessarily into manga. Yeah, no, I I concur, and I think that I'm. I think what I would say is why I got sold on this is because it I mentioned this in the first episode is like it avoids manga isms. I think the reason I don't get into manga is I find a lot of manga sort of follows the same pathway, and so like when I start a manga, I'm like, oh right, it's one of this type of manga, and it's going to do this, and so like this is this one stood out to me because I. It, I found myself, like, thinking, oh, here we go. And then by about page 10, I was like, wait, what? Where's this story going? Yeah, I think a lot of the, <laughs> the sort of the gender dynamics of the characters really help with that. Yeah. Like, it took me a long time to figure out that there might even be a love triangle because uh, the characters weren't in typical gender roles necessarily. Mm. And so only looking back on it, does do I now think that it's kind of being framed as... It's going to be Tsukimi and uh, Kurinosuke. Uh, that's not something I felt while I was reading it. Right. It's only looking back on it and thinking, how could this fit into a romance trope? Yeah. In fact, you know what? I I, I know I was like maybe complaining a little bit about it, but I, I think I'm going to pull back a little bit. And uh, I think overall, these are really complex, fleshed out characters. And I think that no one's following any set patterns or rules so you know i think it is actually a really positive read because like i think everyone is just being themselves and it doesn't matter if someone hasn't picked a very specific gender role or fits any particular stereotype like i think everyone's very i think this is actually like really good you mentioned before fluid and i think this actually is a good way of representing just people being fluid uh and not being any one way and and so yeah i think overall i think that that also was like a selling feature in this. Yeah, sweet. Hey, uh, well, I guess we should do shout outs first, shouldn't we? Let's do shout outs first. Okay, okay. Uh, lightning round shout outs. 
Uh, I'm gonna shout out uh, "Cat Rackham" by Steve Wolfard. It's about a very, very sad cat, and I like it a lot. Uh, I'm Jonathan. You can find me at phobos-comic.com. All right. Uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeffreyellis.ca. And uh, next on my reading list is going to be the relaunch of Jessica Jones, formerly Alias, which we did a review on. And maybe I'll let you guys know if we should possibly read that book read in the future. Again. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Jam. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca. I read a lot of manga, uh, trying to pick one for trade waiters, and a lot of it I didn't like, but one that I really, really liked was Dorohedoro, which is super weird, and I don't think I'm going to force the rest of the trade waiters to read it. But <laughs> if you like weird, messed up manga, Dorohedoro is about a guy with a crocodile for his head, and he's hunting magicians, and there's a man who turns his enemies into mushrooms and eats them, and it's wonderful. Sold. <laughs> Not well. I don't know. Let's see. I reserve judgment. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, our next book is going to be a Kathleen pick. It's going to be Castle Waiting by Linda Medley. We're going to do another two episode run through. So next episode will be volume one. And I hope that Kathleen uh, will have gotten over her obsession with drawing lizards by then and can participate in this episode. She'll have drawn them all. Uh, and I also hope Jess's uh, apartment is drained of water and uh, that the jellyfish find a safe home somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> the Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com, on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. <laughs> To do something about uh, sea creatures and whales. Keep that part in. <laughs> oh yeah, whale facts. That's what it keep, is. Keep that. What you're doing right now. Keep that in too. If any, no. <laughs> this is the advantage of being the editor. Is I can say no.